and This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour open-line talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. To express your viewpoint, please call 804-754-1988. That's 804-754-1988. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. On Tuesday, thousands of members of the Southern Baptist Convention gathered in Nashville to determine the future of the nation's largest and most powerful evangelical Christian denomination. A 65-year-old black pastor stood up. He had been affiliated with the Southern Baptist Convention for more than four decades, but he boycotted the group's annual meeting in protest, in protest of its handling of racial justice issues, as he said. He encouraged many other black pastors to join him. He said this, Who wins the election will tell me whether this convention will be 21st century or 19th century. Will it be inclusive? Will it be racially diverse? Will it be misogynistic? Well, that was his definition of whether or not the Southern Baptist Convention would be biblical. On the other hand, a so-called modern establishing wing of the Southern Baptists seeks to welcome black, Latino, and Asian congregations into their fold to adopt what is called a moderate approach on social justice issues and tentatively uphold critical race theory, a concept that racism is structured and entrenched in modern society and that white people cannot possibly be without racism. Well, the wars have been raging in the Southern Baptist Convention. In March, the well-known prominent white evangelical teacher Beth Moore in an interview, said she could no longer identify with Southern Baptist. The two candidates, a fellow by the name of Lytton and another by the name of Stone, were competing in a runoff. Some have said that it was the most contentious convention in 25 years. Pastor Stone was endorsed by the Conservative Baptist Network, and he warned that worldly ideologies and philosophies were making inroads into the Southern Baptist life. He said, our Lord isn't woke. Well, what does that mean? What does all of this mean? We're going to talk about that on a later program. But today, we're going to focus specifically on an aspect of the heart, an aspect of our thinking that has, according to our guest today, invaded so much not only of our secular culture, but also of the church. It seems that the virus that we're facing is not primarily the coronavirus, but it's a very different kind of virus called selfishness. And our guest today calls it licensing selfishness. He says the secular and evangelical ideology of selfishness is destroying America. The greatness of America, he said, resulted from the Christian roots that established a culture characterized by agape love. Beginning with the 1960s, though, progressives have promoted an ideology that licenses selfishness, the opposite of agape love. This ideology of selfishness now dominates American culture, says our guest. It has spawned virtually every problem confronting our nation. Restoration of a healthy and successful society 
requires the reestablishment of a culture that promotes agape love rather than selfishness. So today, without any more ado, we want to welcome uh, Paul Brown back with his book, Licensing Selfishness, the Secular and Evangelical Ideology Destroying America. Paul, it's good to have you on the program. Chuck, thanks so much for having me. I've been looking forward to it. Well, where do we find you today? Well, I'm in Greensboro, North Carolina today. Okay. Well, you're you're part of the Southern Bunch then. That's correct. All right. And uh, this particular book is kind of unusual in a way. Uh, you asked the question, what is happening to America? And in reality, we've been talking about that here for a very long time. In fact, what you may not know is that I was a trial attorney in California for 20 years until the Lord spoke to my heart in 1992 right there in my law office saying, son, you've been pleading the cause of men long enough, and I want you to plead my cause of the land as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation here at America's Greatest Crisis Hour. And in 1993, we formed Save America Ministries, for the rebuilding of the foundations of faith and freedom. We launched this radio program 26 years ago called Viewpoint to confront the deepest issues of America's heart and home. And it seems to me that what you have identified here is one of those deepest issues. Some have called it the sovereignty of the self. Open this up. Give us your understanding as we uh, get into this a little bit more deeply. Well, it all started back in the 1960s. I was, uh, I'm old enough to remember the 50s, and and uh, despite uh, contemporary perspectives, it really was the golden age in, in a lot of ways in the United States. And then the 60s came along and the hippie movement, and with it, uh, their, their perspective, their uh, ideology that... Uh, could be expressed in their two primary mantras, and that is, if it feels good, do it, and you have a right to do your own thing. And mm-hmm. those two, those two perspectives, feed on one another. The first one, if it feels good, do it, is saying that we now determine reality not based on reason, but based on feeling. And right. we see this all around us today. I mean, this is where we're at in our society today. But the second one uh, comes out of that because if if we view reality based on feelings, that means I can only feel my own feelings. Mm-hmm. I can't feel your feelings. Therefore, right. I'm the only real person. Uh, everybody else is just uh, a an image on the monitor of my mind. In other so words, to, have... not, nothing to be considered. Uh, you're the... Uh the other out there, whoever you happen to be, but I am uh, the captain of my fate. I am that I am. I am sovereign. Yeah, and, and not only that, I'm the only one that matters. I'm the one that counts. And uh, therefore, I have a right to do my own thing. Uh, I am God in my own universe, and uh, nobody has a right to uh, tell me what to do. And of course, the hippie movement was very anti-authoritarian, and that's right. why, because what right have they to tell me what to do? After all, uh, I'm me, and, and I have a right to do my own thing, and so uh, uh, I, I should be able to be my own boss and make my own decisions, regardless of what they are or who they who they impact. Well, to show how this has crept uh, very early on into the church, 
one of the uh, prominent singers of the era in the early 1970s took that, uh, shall we say, belief system or ideology, whatever you want to call it, out of the 60s and uh, put it into a song that took America by storm. And it was actually sung by a very prominent, the daughter of one of the most prominent evangelical uh, entertainers in history. And here was the nature of the song. How can it be wrong when it feels so right? How can it be wrong when it feels so right? Now you light up my life. We'll be right back after this with uh, Paul Brownback to talk about licensing selfishness and the sovereignty of the self. This is really important, friends. It really is gravely important. From God's viewpoint, we'll be right back. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. Today we're talking about a very interesting subject. I, when I say interesting, I'm not talking about uh, in a sensationalistic sense uh, or in something that just uh, grabs you and uh, just necessarily makes you want to listen, but it is a profound subject. That's why it's so interesting. And our guest today says it all started not in the 1960s, but in the Garden of Edom. And it won't end until we get to heaven. He said, I struggle with selfishness daily and lose the fight too often. I'm betting that you experience the same. That's bad enough, says our guest Paul Brownback. However, the current proliferation of selfishness does not merely result from normal cultural erosion. It is licensed by an ideology of selfishness an interconnected ideology, psychology, and theology that unleashes selfishness in both secular society and the evangelical church. Selfishness comprises a powerful human inclination without any encouragement. An ideology that protects and even promotes selfishness has put it on steroids, creating societal chaos. How has selfishness created societal chaos, Paul? Well, we mentioned that uh, hippie philosophy, if it feels good, do it. Mm-hmm. And, and naturally, if if a person lived based on their feelings for, for a, an hour, he would probably either end up in jail or die. Uh, we, we, we're not designed to live based on our feelings. And our feelings... Well, why, why is that? Why, what, what's wrong with relying on our feelings? Some people <laughs> well, might out there might say... Well, are you saying my fifth feelings don't matter? Well, your feelings matter, but God didn't create our feelings to be our GPS. Oh, created, in other words, uh, in other words, we're not to allow feelings to supersede our faith. 
uh, not to supersede our faith, not to supersede our mind and uh-huh. uh, and uh, our volition, allow our, our mind to direct us. And, of course, uh, ideally, the mind advised by the Word of God and letting that direct us and, and then our our will implementing the the findings of the mind. That's God's design. We are created in the image of God, and that's what, what that's all about. Mm-hmm. And the feelings are are good and they're important, but they're not meant uh, they're not meant to be our guide. They're not our GPS. That's not God's design. And when we allow them to uh, to serve in that role, we're headed for disaster. All right. So they're meant. The feelings are meant to serve us, but not to enslave us. Well, yes, that's, that's correct, uh, and not to guide us. That's, right. I guess that's even more important. And there are times when when we can let feelings provide some guidance when mm-hmm. we're trying to decide between chocolate, vanilla, and strawberry. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's certainly legitimate for feelings to to take the lead, but the the mind and the will have to always have veto power. I mean, because I mm-hmm. might decide. Uh, on on strawberry, but if I want to triple dip, maybe my mind needs to step in and say, you know, that's not a good idea. Yeah. You know, as I'm thinking about this, uh, it takes me back to uh, the words of Scripture uh, describing our times. The Apostle Paul talked to Timothy about these end times. He called them perilous times. And the very first thing he said in 2 Timothy 3 is, that there are going to be times of selfishness, that the self is going to become Lord. And when we look at the description, uh, the the uh, things that are going on in our culture today, it is as if the self has become Lord. In fact, I'm thinking even back, uh, oh, maybe a decade or two, when one of the most famous Christian pastors in America at that time who pastored the Crystal Cathedral, said that it was abuse to tell people that they were sinners because that would make them feel bad. No, he said, our real goal is to increase their self-esteem. How does that reflect this problem? Well, uh, the hippie movement that we talked about uh, actually makes no sense to any thinking person. If it feels good, do it. We can't survive that way. You can't run a business that way. You can't run a family that way. You can't run your own life that way. However, a psychologist stepped into the gap, a man by the name of Carl Rogers, mm-hmm. and he said, oh, no, no. Uh, uh, you know, and this gets back to Schuler. You know, same same perspective, Carl Rogers uh, really uh, established the self-esteem movement that, that Schuller picked up. Well, it's interesting because in college, a Christian college, I actually wrote a paper on uh, Carl Rogers and what was called client-centered psychology, which was exactly. a, a nice euphemism for the self. That's right. It's all about you. It's all about you. Okay, well, uh, that being the case... You have this title, licensing selfishness. How is selfishness licensed? Well, again, Carl Rogers came along with this theory that 
the key to a healthy personality is that person must be accepted unconditionally by significant others. Mm-hmm. So uh, parents, whatever, teachers, they have to accept unconditionally. And as that person is accepted unconditionally, then he will ac- be able to accept himself unconditionally. This will make him into a wholesome person. And then he will spontaneously uh, make good decisions. And uh, therefore, the key to, to being a healthy person is receiving unconditional acceptance. And as Carl Rogers uh, made the point that if we accept people unconditionally, then they will spontaneously develop uh, into what he called fully functioning people. He, they'll become healthy personalities. They will, they'll become the, their optimal self. They'll become so self-actualized, I think he said. That's exactly right. Self-actualized. And, Notice the emphasis on self. <laughs> and and he, he saw this as the solution to everything. If you have a problem with alcoholism, if you have a problem with depression, it doesn't matter what your problem was, you were not uh, accepted unconditionally by significant others. And therefore, the solution is that, that you get into this environment of unconditional acceptance. And that's what the therapist does. He, the therapist accepts the person unconditionally, then he can accept himself unconditionally and become this fully functioning person. Well, it sounds almost like that bumper sticker that came out in the 1970s that said, screw guilt. In other words, <laughs> if you're going to receive yourself unconditionally and everybody else, there's no need for any uh, any kind of external uh, principles, morality, law, because everybody becomes acceptable uh, on their own terms. Uh, precisely. In other words, no rules should apply to me. I sh- I'm okay, regardless of how I live. I'm okay, and you should accept me, and I should accept myself. And and you bring out the point about no guilt. Uh, in in years past, the uh, the DSM, the the uh, manual for uh, psychiatry, uh, talked about. Uh, uh, psychopaths and sociopaths, and a psychopath is essentially somebody who feels no guilt, likewise with a, with a psychopath. Mm-hmm. And so, so when we tell people you shouldn't feel any guilt, we are, in essence, creating sociopaths. <laughs> the, the, the basic difference usually is between a psychopath is seen as somebody who is born that way, and a sociopath is somebody... Uh, who was uh, who became that way because of a permissive environment, a permissive society, permissive parents. And so. But isn't that exactly what Dr. Spock was spawning among Americans, America's parents starting in the 1940s? Called laissez-faire yeah. parenting? Just let the child do whatever he wants. He'll, he'll finally figure it out. Don't discipline I, him. Uh, don't, don't, don't interfere with his self. Yeah, and, and, and you think maybe, Chuck, that it was that foundation that that brought us to the 60s. In other words, you, you have a bunch of college kids doing their thing, and their parents didn't grab hold of them and say, hey, you get yourself home here, and we're going to cut off the uh, uh, the funds for your your uh, permissive living, uh-huh. promiscuous living. And uh, But they didn't do that. And maybe Dr. Spock was the one that, 
that ultimately brought us to the 60s. Well, we see what we're doing is portraying for our listeners here the progression of these things that the Bible describes in its own terms. For instance, the Apostle Paul says that one of the premier characteristics of the times immediately preceding the second coming of Christ is lawlessness, lawlessness. And lawlessness actually means I am my own law. I am the I am. Nobody ain't going to tell me what to do. No law is going to require me what to do. No parent, no teacher, no culture, no law, not even God. Isn't that where we're headed? Well, not only are we headed there, but I think uh, your primary concern and mine is the fact that this has found its way into the church, and and that uh, perspective that you just mentioned ultimately is uh, a, a, a dominant factor in contemporary evangelical thinking. And isn't that exactly what lay at the foundation, the root of the big battle this year with the Southern Baptist Convention in Nashville. Yes, the root is. of it was this very thing that we're talking about. That, that's exactly right. And uh, it's maybe a little complex, but, but we can trace the, the, the unconditional acceptance of Carl Rogers and, and that whole theory, and we can trace how that leads to critical race theory. Yes, we can. Absolutely. And uh, all of the talk about misogynism and all of these other buzzwords that have become the adaptation and acceptance by the church of the dictates of the culture, which basically have rejected the authority of God and now are demanding that the church accept its authority, the culture's authority, which is fundamentally lawless. Friends, this is a fascinating book, Licensing Selfishness, The Secular and Evangelical Ideology Destroying America. And uh, we're going to make the book available to you for your gift of $10 to Save America Ministries. It's on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. You can write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Or you can write to us. You can give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA, and when you, if you do write a check, make sure you add $5 for postage and handling, and we'll get it in your hands. It's going to open your eyes. It really is. It's going to open your eyes to uh, what is really developing in our time. Our guest today, uh, Paul Brownback. Uh, Paul, you, uh, I understand you graduated from West Point. That's correct. I say I understand West Point's going woke too. Uh, absolutely, they are. Isn't it amazing? Here is a uh, a culture, an icon of American life, based in lawfulness and in the protection of law through our military, and here it itself has succumbed to wokeness. It's a really sad thing, and, and it's heartbreaking to me as a, as a graduate because I know that, that uh, the military can only function well uh, 
with uh, the foundation of, of discipline. And, of course, the wokeness undermines that discipline. And so uh, it's, it's a tragedy. We are living in a time of tragedy. And the unfortunate thing about it is that this kind of tragedy is treacherous. And it is eating away at the soul, not only of a country, but of the church that founded it. And uh, we are gradually abandoning uh, the root. And now we are seeing the uh, superstructure, so to speak, the fruit withering away and uh, the nation being undermined and destroyed. It's a very dangerous thing that we're looking at here. And that's why here on this program and through Save America Ministries, we're dedicated to rebuilding the foundations of faith and freedom as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Get a copy of this book. We'll be right back with you. Licensing Selfishness, the Secular and Evangelical Ideology Destroying America. We'll be right back. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, on the front page are two great videos. First, an interview and discussion of Chuck's book, Out of Egypt. Also, a great TV interview with Chuck regarding his book, Seduction of the Saints. Much more videos, a for pastors only section, and also you can view Chuck's weekly teachings. All at his website saveus.org that's saveus.org also on chuck's website listen to chuck's viewpoint broadcast listen to the archives maybe you missed a program check it out at saveus.org also there are some great resources hospitality information also information about marriage divorce and remarriage newsletters articles prophecy Prayer and revival information, all at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. Today we're talking about the root, the root of the destruction of our country and uh, what is happening to destroy and undermine the church that is the only hope for the rebuilding and restoration of the country. Our guest today, Sam Brownback, he says, one is hard-pressed to identify any contemporary societal problem that does not have selfishness at its root. But it gets worse. Normal selfishness, seeking to benefit self at the expense of another, is bad enough. But this ideology legitimizes selfishness by denying personhood to all others by reducing them to objects in one's field of experience. This leaves no other real person to infringe on the right of the individual to live selfishly. He's free to behave as he pleases. He becomes God in his own universe. Sovereign selfishness. And it shows itself in abortion because the denial of the personhood of the innocent child licenses me to take his life. Wow. As I think about this, Sam, I'm uh, taken back to the words of Alexis de Tocqueville. Uh, He came over here in 1830, uh, a a secular Frenchman, to try to study what it was that made America great. We know his quote from his book, uh, Democracy in America, that America is great because America is good. 
And if America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. And that's true. But what people don't realize is that he identified like a prophet one of the clear heart problems of the country. He coined a term called individualism. That's where it came from. In 1830, Alexis de Tocqueville. He said that he saw a very dangerous trend in our country, that the pursuit of happiness for myself ultimately would result in the destruction of community. And he called it individuality or individualism, where every man does right in his own eyes and increasingly ignores everyone else. He becomes his own Lord. Fascinating. And yet you don't hear anybody talking about that. Why do you think that is? Well, because the whole concept that uh, the person who has accepted unconditionally, the person, the individual who has a right to express his individualism, as we accept him in doing that, uh, Carl Rogers said that then, then that person will spontaneously do the right thing, spontaneously mm-hmm. do good things. In other words, a total ignoring, not only ignoring, but rejecting the concept of original sin. Well, it, it, in, a, in a sense, it doesn't, it doesn't reject it all. It says that there's a psychological mechanism that, that will overcome that. All right. In if other words, act- you can save yourself. Well, well, it's others can save you by accepting you unconditionally. <laughs> See, the, 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 re, the, reason, the reason we do these bad things, Chuck, is because I do bad things because you're not accepting me unconditionally. And if only you would accept me unconditionally, then I would live right. And therefore, the, the, ultimate, the ultimate immorality in our society today is failing to accept. Mm-hmm. And that, that's, that's the ultimate problem, and, and the ultimate goodness is accepting. And that, there's where we get all this talk about uh, diversity and everything else. Right. You, you must accept the person regardless of his behavior, whatever, because it's in accepting him that, that he will become the person that, that he was meant to be. He well, that reminds me of person. another bumper sticker out of the 70s, I'm okay, you're okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, that, you're de- you're denying the reality of uh, of sin, of unrighteousness, of bad behavior, of malevolent motivation. All we have to do is put our arm around one another, sing kumbaya, and say, "I'm okay, you're okay." Exactly. Okay. Now that brings us to this term that you are continuing to use, and uh, it's it's part of the heart of your book. And uh, we want to focus on that for the balance of the program here. But in order to do that, I want to go back to how we got to that point. And that is this matter of acceptance and uh, unconditional love and unconditional acceptance. I taught school for nine years in Southern California before I practiced law. It was from 1967 to 1975, right there uh, in the heart of the greatest upheaval of American life, law, morality, and education. 
During that time, we were compelled by the state of California and by our school district on the weekend to go for special training. They called it encounter groups. And what they were for is to rethink, cause rethinking and re-education for teachers so that you would no longer talk about truth. You would not longer express things in terms of fact or what you believe. You would have to say, I feel, I feel, I feel. At the same time, in the church house, in the early 1970s, began what was called, what I call the God is love movement. Rejecting the God of truth and the God of justice and judgment, only the God of love was embraced. That was the beginning of the church growth movement, right there where I practice law in Southern California, Pasadena. The church growth movement began with the under or overarching belief that somehow if we just accepted everybody, if we just accepted everybody, then we could grow our churches. Well, that went on and began the divorce culture in the church. The divorce culture in the church metastasized from Ronald Reagan's 1968 law that... uh, uh, basically inaugurated no-fault divorce. He was our first divorce president. Then, from there, divorce not only metastasized throughout the church, so that the church became, in many respects, an equal leader in destroying the American family and marriage. But that wasn't enough. Then, it metastasized into, well, if I'm divorced and and my feelings are validated, I'm okay then, then it's okay for me to violate what Jesus said and remarry if my spouse is still living. So that became the remarriage authorization. It was not long after that until the seeker-sensitive movement came in, which was the church growth movement on steroids. That came in in the 1990s, and uh, we're not going to go into the individuals that promoted it, the the most prominent individuals, which are evangelical pastors, some of the major ones. And there, it was the selling even the more so of, I'm okay, you're okay, unconditional love. And then today, in uh, this era, it's the emerging church movement, where virtually all biblical authority is rejected, and the only authority that remains is my feelings. Now, that seems to me to be the trajectory, and I've lived through it, the heart of it, Paul, and that leads us back to a more detailed description of what you talk about, the uh, unconditional love and unconditional acceptance. I'm going to turn it over to you at this point to, to unfold all of that implication. Well, it's interesting that uh, you spent that time in the uh... Pasadena. I went to uh, Talbot Seminary and was in Southern California at about the same time oh. uh, when the uh, hippie movement was in full swing. In fact, uh, uh, there were we had some debates at the uh, seminary related to all this and how this was unfolding and whatever. But so, in other words, uh, you were part of the Biola uh, 
antithesis to Azusa Pacific University, where I was a student and graduated. That's correct. Oh, now the truth is coming out. (laughs) Arch enemies. (laughs) By the way, what you're talking about here has horribly invaded my alma mater. Horribly invaded my alma mater. How about yours? You know, I'm not in touch that much. We mentioned we talked about West Point. It certainly has gone there, but mm-hmm. uh, but I am not uh, in touch with uh, the school enough to know really what's going on there. But, All right, uh, it certainly has gotten everywhere, hasn't it? Well, it has. It's it's just amazing, and I think it's necessary. A lot of people don't understand how we got to where we are, and so what I I felt it was necessary to paint that picture briefly of how we got here. But t- let's let's talk about this unconditional love and unconditional acceptance. You say that is not biblical. Why? Right. Well, uh, if we just take it just even at the obvious level, uh, if God accepts us unconditionally, what do we do with, with the flood? When, when God uh, wiped out all but eight people, uh, or Sodom imagine? and Gomorrah, right? Can, or can Israel, somebody in the, in the flood and, and sinking in the water, and and uh, but God whispering in here, but I accept you unconditionally. You know, it's, that just doesn't hang together. I mean, what do you do with that? And the, the fact is that, and and somebody might say, yeah, but that's all that old covenant stuff. But but Scripture says we have the, the tribulation coming up, which is going to be the worst of times. So, yeah. And Jesus we, we, warned about it uh, in Matthew 24. Uh, yeah. His disciples asked him, what will be the sign of your coming, the end of the age? And the very first thing he said was, take heed that no man deceive you. In other words, he's talking about this very kind of spirit that has been so subtly invading the entire world and the church. It's unbelievable. Well, you know what's interesting to me? Uh, I was having a Bible study just the other day. Talking well, about- that's so good. I'm glad that you made that confession, Paul. <laughs> we'll be right back after this, friends. Okay. The wonderful book, uh, Licensing Selfishness, The Secular and Evangelical Ideology Destroying America and Destroying the World, actually. $10 is going to put it in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org. I hope you'll get it. Call us 1-800-SAVE-USA. We want to get back to this un- unconditional love thing. What's this all about anyway? Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by His Spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, Behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Do we have unconditional love and unconditional acceptance 
from God? That's the question before us here in this final segment of the program as we talk with our special guest, uh, Paul uh, Brownback, and his book, Licensing Selfishness. Now, Paul, I'm going to uh, quote a scripture uh, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, and he extended his love toward us. Now, that's unconditional love. The problem is unconditional acceptance, as I see it. God, without our merit, extends his love. But if we don't receive it on his conditions, we don't get the benefit. In other words, we don't get acceptance. That's the problem, isn't it? Well, that's right, because there is a condition. Uh, people misunderstand that verse and the, also the verses in First John where they, they talk about uh, God is loved. and, and uh, Of course God is we, love. We loved him, but he loved us. Uh, but, but, you know, in, in all of those verses, we find the same thing, and that is uh, God extended his love to us in that he sent Christ to die for us. That was the expression of his love. It wasn't this ongoing gloating over how wonderful we are. Exactly. So it was the expression of his love. That's how he manifested it. That was agape love, selfless love extended to us, but it was extended unconditionally, but the fruit of that love being accepted was totally conditional. If you, then I. If you, then I. All through the scriptures, from the beginning of the book to the end of the book, if you, then I. If you will hear my voice, if you will obey my voice, if you will humble yourself and repent, if you, if you, if you, if you, if you. That's not the lordship of the self. That's not the exaltation of me. That's the exaltation of Jesus recognizing that without him, I am nothing. And as we look at uh, the New Testament, full of conditions, uh, there's a condition for salvation, saving faith. Absolutely. And, and what has happened today is because of the emphasis on unconditional love. <clears throat> okay, I mean, tie that to... all together now. Let's, okay, let's, we have... let's put make it all real clear for everyone. Okay, we have this condition of faith. We're saved by meeting the condition of faith. Mm-hmm. But if 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 God uh, accepts us unconditionally, then then what we have to do is reduce faith faith to nothing, and that's in essence what we've done. We we said, well, saving faith. That just if you'll just glance up here, I'm giving the invitation. Just glance right. up here, and you're you're good to go. All I right, mean, I want I want to speak to that because okay. the problem is as we read the scriptures. And as many pastors are teaching and preaching, they're not giving the whole counsel of God. There are three, there are three words that come from the same root. One is believe, the other, another is trust, and the other is faith. Those are the three legs of the Christian stool. They all are facets of the same thing. So you can't say you have faith without trust. And you can't say that you have trust without believing. You can't say that you believe if you don't trust. So what links them? It's the most hated word in the church today. It's the word obey. That is the word that links those three legs so that the entire stool 
holds together and supports the gospel. That's why the word obey has fallen on such hard times. And you might not be, uh, I don't know what you think about this, but over the past several years, I have asked many, many pastors and parachurch leaders right here on this program, would you agree that the word obey is the most hated word in the church? And every one of them agreed. Yeah, well, and linked to that is legalism, right? I mean, because legalism, and, and today the idea of legalism is, is no longer, well, you don't drink or you don't smoke or whatever. Today, legalism is, is any commandment, any requirement. Right. And so actually the word legalism is used as a license to do what you want to do whenever you want to do it. A license is selfishness, exactly. exactly. And, and we hear all the time, and, and major, we, we could quote them, I won't give the names, but, uh, uh, but people say you don't have to perform to please God. Well, that's, that's in essence saying uh, that you can live any way you want. You can live selfishly. And God is just as happy with you as if you would live otherwise. Well, obviously, Jesus didn't think that way, because four times in John 14 alone, he said, if you love me, obey me. If you don't love me, you won't. If you love me and keep my commandments, I and my Father will manifest ourselves to you. Then the beloved disciple, John, says, this is the love of God, that you keep his commandments and they're not grievous. So... If we ignore all of those things, we end up creating our own gospel. It's the gospel that ordains the sovereignty of the self, and self itself becomes the I am of our world. Let me get back to this thing of, of faith and the essence of faith. I, I think that is best described in terms of marriage vows. Okay. Uh, I, I believe saving faith is is a commitment to a relationship, right? And a commitment to a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And in fact, the the old Elizabethan vows ended with, "And thereto, I pledge you my, my faith." Mm-hmm. And so, and so that that is that is the expression of faith. And of course, that expression is very graphically displayed in baptism. Where, where we enter into this relationship where we are no longer the Lord of our life, but, but uh, we have a new, a, a new uh, lifestyle where Jesus is Lord. Where and, the, and flesh, the, the flesh, then, is crucified with Christ. And exactly. therefore, yeah. the rulership or sovereignty of the self is crucified as we embrace the relationship with Christ. And, and that leads to another issue, and, and that is uh, every relationship requires conditions. You can't have any kind of relationship re- without conditions because uh, we need conditions in order to give the relationship meaning and structure and a, and a means of functioning. Mm-hmm. If you had marriage without conditions, oh, I can sleep with whoever I want or, or whatever, well, the marriage has lost its meaning. <clears throat> and if there are no conditions, it's lost its its structure. How how you have a family, and it's lost its basis of functioning. So every relationship requires conditions, including our relationship with the Lord. All right. Now you say, uh, even though uh, about ten years ago on the floor of the Natural Religious Broadcasters, uh, my friend uh, Dr. James Dobson 
admitted to me on the air that we had lost the culture wars. Yet he was a predominant, one of the predominant culture warriors of our time. Still is, I suppose, you could say that. So you say, though, that we can win the culture war as evangelical Christians. How so, and how does it connect to this subject? Okay, first of all, we've got to uh, restore a biblical perspective. This unconditional acceptance, uh, it, it just violates virtually hundreds of passages of Scripture. Uh, I, I encourage people to read the Bible for the first time. Open the Bible, and, and well, by by that I don't mean they've never read it before. What I'm what I'm trying to say is that they need to to open it and and read it and and take it for what it actually says instead of uh, bringing our cultural interpretation into it. Mm-hmm. I think okay. if if we would open our eyes and see what. I mean, what do we do with Ananias and Sapphira? How do we fit that into unconditional acceptance? Exactly. And, and so if we would just read the Bible and, and take it at face value. But, but, but then I believe if the church got healthy, if the church got biblical again, uh, that, that there are basically four things that we need, and we could win the culture war. We, we need unity, which we don't have. We're, we're the most splintered group in the whole universe. Well, how can, how can we have unity when we diss what God has said and everybody is living as if they are the sovereign self and not God? Well, and that's, that's the whole problem. That's why we need to solve that problem first. We need to get back to Scripture first. <laughs> Absolutely. But, but, but then we need to have unity, and, and then we need to have leadership, and we need to have expertise. Uh, and the the uh, secular world does. They know how to manipulate. They've got a plan, and but we don't have a plan. And then we need a strategy. So so if we had those things, and of course we need a, it all needs to start with prayer, believing that God will will do something if we humble ourselves and pray. Okay, but we've had we've had fifty years of national days of prayer, and then we had all these other solemn assemblies, including one last year. And yet we have no revival. We don't have any progress. In fact, it's getting worse and worse and worse. Well, and it gets back to the unconditional acceptance. I don't have to perform to please God. Uh, any any uh, talk about righteous living is legalism. And as long as we're we're uh, living with that error, as long as that's dominating our evangelical culture, we're going to be weak and sickly, and we're going to lose the culture war. Absolutely. As, well, we as, already as, are. Now I want yeah, to bring up. Now, yeah. I want to go back to another word that you mention uh, uh, in your book repeatedly, and that is the word agape. Uh, this is one of the three or four different kinds of love displayed in the Scripture. This is the pure love. This is the unselfish love. This is the self, uh, the love that's not about uh, all about me. It's about thee. So help us to understand how agape love then is manifested, how we can move from the grip of licensed selfishness or the sovereignty of the self as a Christian and truly embrace agape love. I like to uh, define agape as just seeking the best interest of others. I mean, it's, right. to me, it's that simple. Uh, and And doing that... Of course, we need to again get back to scripture and whatever, uh, but but that requires discipline. 
it requires it, it, it and uh, the apostle Paul talks about that in, in Romans chapter five. James talks about that in chapter one. Mm-hmm. We need to to grow in 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 Christian character. We need to grow in our our walk with the Lord, where we have the the muscle to to uh, resist temptation and do the right thing, and that doesn't come easy, even for believers. And so we need to develop that that muscle. And uh, it's only as as we commit ourselves to that to that kind of righteous living that that we can uh, say no to selfishness and focus on others. Uh, one of the great verses in Scripture is First uh, Corinthians sixteen fourteen. Let all that you do be done in love. That means we we can do everything, everything we do, whether it's saying good morning in the, uh, to, to our spouse in the morning, we can either do that in a grumpy way or we can do that in a way that makes their day better. Well, I'm so and, glad that my wife wakes up early and she greets me with uh, just a wonderful welcoming smile. It's just I, it's I, so wonderful. I'm, I'm sure you're the one who promotes that. I, I'd imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, we know about the royal law, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's another way of expressing what you've said, I think. Yes, it is. And then, and then Jesus said, you know, uh, you talk, talked about uh, loving others more than ourselves, really. Mm-hmm. When he talked about mm-hmm. uh, dying to self. So... That's gone even beyond that. And you look at missionaries, and they go overseas into a foreign culture and rejection and, and everything else, and you just see death to self there. We're called to that in, in our marriage relationships, in our relationship with our kids, and, and whatever. It will begin at home. Uh, righteousness begins at home, and yet righteousness alone exalts a nation, and sin is a reproach to any people. Friends, self cannot be sovereign in our lives. But we're not following Christ. It's as simple as that. Thanks for joining us here on Viewpoint. Get a copy of this wonderful book, Licensing Selfishness, the Secular and Evangelical Ideology Destroying America. $10 will put it in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org. Write to us at Save America Ministries. Call us, 1-800-SAVE-USA, and become a partner. Friends, this is tough stuff. Help us to get the message out for such a time as this. Remember, these are perilous times. Do you agree? God bless and be a blessing. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home. 